Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I got a text this morning. Hey, are we still having church? I heard some churches are closing down uh, this morning because it's so cold. I was like, uh, no, all the manly churches are staying open. So, so in case you ever want to know. You know, I say that and we're going to get snowed in next week and be like, we're not having church, pansy, you know. Uh, I hope you're here to be encouraged because, <laughs> or I guess I hope you came here encouraged because by the time you leave today, like this is so depressing. Like it's really got this feel to it that, and I'm so excited about it. But there's kind of those, there's people in the world who live in the minor chords. Do you know what that means? You know, like live in the minor chords. Let me give you an example. Not that this ultimately matters, but let me show you. Some people are, uh, are in the key of C, like they live life in C. Right? Then there's some people who live a little more ominous, and they live their life in the minor chords. You know, it's not together. kind of happy, kind of sad, like in the middle, you know? So people live their life in the minor chords. There's that feel to it that this book that we're studying today is that in the minor chords, you know? And I love that. Now, I need to share something with you, and I need you to not, need you to not bring it up when you see her, okay? Don't bring it up, because it, it might be a little embarrassing. She might not quite understand. But one of my daughters, who is not the oldest, giving you no names, all right? Don't talk to her about it. Um, has a thing about movies, and she likes movies, but she doesn't like typical movies. We got one one time, and it was a, it was a, it was a movie you could watch, but it had a situation where there was a, a dad or a stepdad who was abusive to, to the daughter. And like she thought that was the greatest thing ever. Not for abuse, like she's not like pro-abuse, um, but she's... But like she likes trauma, she likes tragedy. Like if somebody gets kidnapped or she, there's some sort of situation, like she loves the drama part of film, like the suspense, like lives in the minor, which is fair because that is how I love movies, you know? I can't tell you how many movies of Kirk Cameron's I have never seen. <laughs> how about this? All of them. You know why? Because they're in the key of C. Bing, 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 bing. And they're just so, they're going to end good. They're, and I'm kind of on the other side of like, take me down kind of an ugly road. Let me see something that I don't, haven't seen before. My youngest daughter is kind of like me. Like she really appreciates like this. Someone got kidnapped in this movie. This movie's great. I love this movie. Wow, that's a little dark, sister, you know. They're just people who kind of live in that space, you know in the minor chords. The guy that wrote this book that we're talking about today was the son of King David. His name is Solomon. And Solomon was this incredibly intelligent man. In fact, as he took over the throne, the very, the very first thing that God said to him was, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And Solomon said what? Wisdom. I want wisdom. Why? Because I am so far out of my league. I'm not a ruler. I'm not a ruler. I, I don't know how to lead. So I need wisdom on how to lead your people. And God said, because of that, I'm going to give you wisdom. 
and riches and fame and everything else. And so Solomon begins to take this wisdom gift and go into the deep end of the pool and take a very, very deep look at all the things that go on, as he describes it, under the sun. I have seen everything under the sun. So, so I don't hold this up any further. I hope you came encouraged because this sucks. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Okay, well, good. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and it sets. It hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things, verse 8, are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which someone can say, look, there's something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Oh, well, somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Like, that is just, that's, that's what you got. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Verse 2 starts off like this. Nothing matters. Verse 3 through verse 7 goes, nothing has changed. Nothing changes. It's all the same. 8 through 10 goes, nothing is new. And then, uh, then verse 11, nothing is memorable. Nothing. Nothing. Now here's what's funny. When you read something like this inside of a Christian context with Christian people, here's what we do. We begin to play the spiritual side of it. Didn't you do that? Well, not everything's meaningless. As I'm saying, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. The smartest guy in the world is saying, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything in the world is meaningless. And you're going, in all of your brilliance, well, not everything's meaningless. And he's saying, everything is meaningless. God validated him as the smartest guy ever. And you're going to argue with him and say, well, not everything's meaningless. I sat in my office and thought to myself, well, not everything is meaningless. And he keeps saying, no, it's meaningless. That's kind of a dark approach. I bet you like kidnap movies, don't you? Wow. This is pretty intense. What's the hang-up? What's the insight? What's the view? Now, here's what I love about this. As soon as we get to here, he begins to read. I mean, he begins to write. And what he says is, so I decided to dive in. This is just his introduction. This was my perspective. This is where I landed. This is what he's saying. This is where I landed that my whole perspective on life everywhere is that it is meaningless and it is pointless. Thus, I think I better get inside and begin to kind of turn on some of these nuts and bolts and see if I can't get something figured out here. So with wisdom, he dives in. Now, here's what he's talking about. Look at verse 12. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. 
I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all that I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ever ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also to madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind because for which, uh, for which much wisdom comes much sorrow and more knowledge, the more grief. This is exactly what it's like when you grow up, isn't it? Do you remember as you were growing up, like everything was really good and then there was just like this event that happened in your life. It may have been small, it may have been big. Something happened to where all innocence is then changed. You don't see the world the same anymore. You were playing, it was fun, it was good, and then all of a sudden you saw a thing that just broke your worldview. I remember. I remember things that went on that all of a sudden I realized the world is not what I thought it was. I thought it was peaches and cream. It's so much fun! And then something happened and I thought, wow, maybe this place isn't as good as I thought. So here's what Solomon says. So I went highbrow. $10 million deals. This is Solomon. $10 million deals. Built palaces everywhere. Important meetings with important people. Drinking billion dollar vodka. With bajillionaires. Listening to the smartest people in the world lecture on every topic in the world. And he walks away from that whole experience of just highbrow, high society living among the top of the top, he says, foolish, stupid, pointless, absolutely pointless. So he decides he's going to go the other direction, which you know what that means, right? That means he's got to get tickets to Talladega. That's what it means. Going to Lincoln, Alabama, boys, doing this thing. Why? Because I'm going the other end. And so this is what he says. So I decided I'll just drink it up. I will laugh it up. I will hang out with people because here's what I noticed. When I'm with the high society group, you know who's hooping and hollering in the streets? Yeah, they are. The good old boys. Down there just hooping it up, loving life. Maybe that's where the fun is. And so he says, I did that. Check this out. Chapter 2, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during these few days of their lives. I don't know if you've seen the advertisement. Every natty has a story. Have <laughs> you seen it? For natty light beer, have you seen it? Every natty has a story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely cracks me up. That's King Solomon. 
I'm about to go see what the hubbub is. I'm about to go check this out. He goes off the rails the other direction. Now, check this out. This is a very unique perspective because he is brilliant. And so he's going this way to say, I need to collect every single bit of data. Now, that sounds like a pretty good excuse, and don't let your teenagers kind of come up with that same idea. I'm just testing it out. I want to know where real wisdom is. That's not legit. But Solomon is trying to figure this thing out. And so he goes highbrow to lowbrow. This is where I'm going to live. It's not steak. It's not caviar. It's not seafood anymore. Hot pockets. It's macaroni and cheese. It's hamburger helper. Other end of the spectrum. Maybe this. Maybe it's about simplicity. But you know what? If you go into the depths of poverty and you find a community that is nothing but poverty and you ask them, what do you wish could change? I wish I were rich. And then if you go and you find the rich and you ask the rich, what is the problem, the biggest problem you have in your life? Money complicates everything. And nobody likes where they are. Solomon is between the two going, I don't understand this. I have everything. I, I know as much as somebody could know. Life is just still empty. Does that part of you, you Christians, does that part of you that like, it doesn't make sense that his life should be empty. His life should be full because he's got Jesus in his heart. I can't help but go there. But that's not Solomon's approach. Solomon is going from the ground up and he's working his way up and he's saying, how in the world can we find God in this mess? What do you do? There's nothing here to do. So several years ago, I take my daughter to the mall, my daughters to the mall. I don't even know if they would remember this. And we walked in and it was one of those great big malls to where they moved everything out of the way. And so as soon as you go in the door, it's no longer like the food court. Now it's a carousel. You just like walk in. And there's like lions with saddles on, tigers, horses, like these bizarre animals. All of them on a carousel, moving up and down. The lights, the sound. It's a big, beautiful carousel. And I walked in. I hadn't seen one in years. Not like that. I was like, this is pretty cool. My oldest was like, oh, please, please. Can I ride, please? My youngest daughter was like, I'm not about to get on that. What in the world is it? Like, this is weird. I'm not getting on it. And I said, you're going to love this. This is so cool. But you know what I was thinking about this? Why do they always put fences around carousels? You ever notice that? If you see one somewhere, like there's a fence around, I know it's for the money side of it, but like, they're afraid people would just be like, I'm gonna ride this thing all day long. No, I don't think that's gonna happen. It's not that cool. Anyway, so I get my oldest daughter and I put her on there. Brooklyn picks out which one she wishes. She's like, I don't wanna ride it, I don't wanna ride it. I said, you're gonna ride it, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun, so sit right here about three horses up from Allie and I set her on. Then about 30 seconds later, the old, the motor on it just kind of moans and groans. And here comes the music. Whatever the song was. And it's playing and we're going. And everybody's going up and down. And I'm watching my oldest and she's like, yeah, it's kind of whatever, whatever. But my youngest is like, oh my gosh. Oh, and she's holding on for dear life, her face just completely lit up. And she turns around and she says, Daddy, we're going so fast. I said, oh, I know you're so fast. I could walk faster. So fast. So fast. 
And she turns and she looks at me and she says, am I winning? <laughs> well, you're beating your sister. <laughs> She'll never catch up with you, ever. It's, you're gonna win. So long as you're in front, you know, you're, you're gonna win. And the crazy thing about life is this, and what Solomon is pointing to is, we get so caught up in accomplishments and achievements and what we have and trinkets and trash and garbage that we collect, that we get on this carousel and we ride it in a circle, all of us, and we all turn around and we look at the people behind us and like, look at me, I'm winning. Are you? Are you? With your trips and your toys and your cars, are you? Are you winning? Are you beating the guy that's right behind you in the whole fixed race? You're not winning. I think the better question is, how do we get off of this thing? How do we get completely off of this thing? How do we manage this thing? It's so funny because the word he uses, meaningless, meaningless, futile, futile. The Hebrew, habel, habel, means vapor. Vapor. Is your life. And that's it. Vapor. Vapor. One guy refers to it as vapor management. That's what life is. Life is vapor management. How do you manage this short bit of vapor that is in your life? That is your life. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just crazy because we get this perspective that this is what we should do. This is how we should react. So the first thing that I think we have to do is we have to embrace the chaos. Embrace the what is called the now. It's right now. Be in the moment now. There's so many things that we miss in life because we spend so much time thinking about what we're going to get, how we're going to do this thing. Here's what's so bizarre. is like we have such an emotional attachment to our things and our stuff. Like we feel so happy because we have a phone in our hand, a new device in our hand, whatever it is, something new. It's just always this thing that we find this emotional pleasure in. Why? Children are the best at understanding the book of Ecclesiastes because children get to the end of something so much faster than adults. See, adults have this weird value system. Monetary value, right? There's things that you have in your house that are worth something, monetary value. Then you have things that are in your house that are not worth anything at all except sentimental value, correct? And then now, let's get into another whole category of all you weirdos. Some of you have obligatory value. You have a thing in your house that you can't throw away because somebody gave it to you and you have no idea why it's in your house, right? You're <laughs> like, oh yeah, they're over there, don't say it. Yeah, these stupid things that we hold on to, why? Because if they come over and they start asking about, look, if you've got people who come to your house and start asking about that, that's weird. Kick them out, all right? Be done. Like, that's weird. I said to my wife the other day, hey, can we get rid of this thing right here? And she's like, no. Why? Because, like, it'd just be awkward if they came over and asked. It, if they come over and asked, it would be awkward. Be very awkward then I would ask them to awkwardly leave is what I would ask them to do. This is awkward. We don't, don't do that. Obligatory value. 
We have this weird system. Kids, on the other hand, no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. You get them something nice, and they're like, this is the greatest thing. I love it. I've never seen anything so wonderful in all my life. And then like seven seconds later, it's broken on the floor. They don't care. Just done. It's over like, uh, you know, I love it. I was all, pong, 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 broken. It's on the, who cares? It's true. Kids are like, yeah, send them an up. But your daddy got that for you. <laughs> he got it for me. You'll get me something else. This is great. You know? <laughs> this is what are daddy's for. This is it. Which I might add that when it comes to parenting on that side of things, um, if our whole goal in getting our kids stuff is to make them smile because we don't know how to make them smile otherwise, we probably got a problem on the inside. That's free. You can file it away somewhere, get mad, email me, whatever you want to do. I'm just saying that if part of the thing that you do to keep your child happy is to furnish them with stuff, um, might want to look into that a little bit, you know? Maybe not the healthiest way. Uh, you might be setting them up for something kind of bad uh, in the future. Um, but kids do. I remember my dad got me a bicycle. It was a beautiful, beautiful bicycle. He actually didn't give me a bicycle. We built this bicycle. It was an old Schwinn. And my dad was so specific about, listen, when you're done riding your bike, you always what? Freaking put it away. Put it on a kickstand. That was my dad's big deal. Hey, hey, get your bike on a kickstand. Oh, okay, all right. I'll get the bike on a kickstand. All right, that makes sense. Whatever. Get your bike on a kickstand. Get your bike on a kickstand. Okay, all right. Bike was brand new. I always put it on the kickstand, always, until I got, until it got to the point to where it was like the bike wasn't new anymore. I didn't care about the kickstand. Just threw it down. Get done riding it, just throw it down. Sometimes I do that cool trick where you jump off and the bike just keeps going. Just let it go crash into the house and then I go inside. <laughs> Whatever, it was a cool move, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, so it's just one of those deals. And then like, uh, I don't remember, he, pick up with the car, he backed out over the top of it because it obviously wasn't. If it had been on a kickstand, of course, if it had been on a kickstand, it wouldn't have run over it, wouldn't have had to, I know, I know, I know, I know. Kickstand. Kids are awesome. Kids understand life better than we understand life. This is why Matthew 18, I think it's 18, when Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a child. Why? Because children understand it. Look, this thing here is temporary, temporary. My daughter, my youngest daughter, loves to go to McDonald's, which I will rarely take her. But if we do swing through there, you know what she wants? A Happy Meal. Do you know why? Because the food is so good. No, that's not why. Because she loves the nuggets. No, that's not why. Why? Because there's a piece of crap inside of there that's made of plastic that probably doesn't work, doesn't have any context to anything that's going on. It doesn't come with another little guy to where you know like this guy goes with this guy in this movie. It's just this one single little thing and you push the tail and the head like goes like this. Like ding, 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 ding. It's the stupidest piece of junk in the world. <laughs> oh yeah, two Happy Meals, please. Can we get, can we get two different toys? Like what kind of moron am I? Here you go. All right, take it out of the plastic. Hey, done. Done. It's done. I've never seen one at my house. I know I've bought them. I've never seen one in my house. Somewhere under the seat of my truck are 10,000 McDonald's toys. I've never seen them. They never make it out of the car. Then they get kicked out or shoveled out into a dumpster somewhere. It's garbage. Why? 
It's over. They just get over it. But we got this weird system to where we hold on to things. And then we get here to Solomon's words. Chapter 2, verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well as the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Embracing the chaos, embracing the now, means that we get to that place to where we say, I'm going to be in this moment. The second thing is this, is that we have to have an encounter with the Creator. You see, this beautiful refrain that keeps happening is this one, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And I think the suggestion is, what, not what is in Ecclesiastes, what is not in Ecclesiastes. He keeps saying everything under the sun, opposed to what? Everything above the sun. Maybe that's the problem with our perspective. Our perspective is one of everything under the sun, from the ground looking up. Me looking up from the ground, everything around me, all of this, is there any joy to be had in any of it? Does it mean anything? Does it change anything? Will it change the weather pattern? No. Will it change the seasons? No. Will it change anything? No. Then what's it do? Nothing. It's pointless and it's meaningless. Unless, of course, unless, of course, we embrace God. We have this encounter with God. If there's no encounter with God, all of this here that we see is absolutely useless because here's the beauty of it. I have this really twisted mindset that I can get to the end of something really quick. Oh, this looks like it would be good. No, this is going to suck. This is going to be terrible. I'm going to be over it in a week. I'm over it now. I'm done. I can get over it so quick. It just takes, when something gets a hold of me and, and can capture my attention, that's when I know it's a real thing. But it takes me a minute to get there to see, is this going to work? No, this isn't going to keep my attention. Part of my poorly devised filtering device on what am I going to do with my life? What can keep my attention? Because that seems to matter most for me. If it can keep my attention, then I'm in it. My wife, she's funny. She's just funny. She keeps my attention. She's beautiful. This job, like being a part of a church, studying, reading, this has somehow kept my attention. Scripture has kept my attention. These are the only way that I can get there. But apart from God, useless. Useless. See, for us, we have to first embrace the now. Be in the moment. We have to experience God. We have to encounter God in our life. By encountering God, here's what I mean. That if you look at the world out here and you say, oh, you know what would make me happy? 
a new fill in the blank. That would make me happy. Okay, what you've just done is you filled in this blank right here, this, this void, this space, with an encounter apart from God. This is no longer about, you know what, I need a new truck, I need a new whatever. Now it's about, I need to feel happy, so I'm going to fill this void. This was the spot where God was supposed to go. That's our encounter with God. But we just do a different thing. We just keep numbing the, this, this question that's always in our head. Is this mean something? Is this meaningful? Is this meaningful? And to me, it's this voice. Shut up, have another cheeseburger, you know? Shut up, buy something new. Shut up, you know, go have fun. Shut up, get a new hobby. Shut up, just numb the question back in the back because if it makes it to the front, all of a sudden now it's called a midlife crisis most of the time. We get to that place to where now it hits. Is this the end of life? Is this really what life is about? Yup. Welcome to Fellowship Regional Church. Life sucks. <laughs> I'm serious. Like that, like that is... That is the book of Ecclesiastes. Unless, of course, there's an encounter with God. As I read through the book of Ecclesiastes, which we're going we're to go through some of this, here's the thing I saw. He gets to this part to where he says, what I found out was this, the best thing a man can do is to eat, to drink, and to find his fulfillment in the things that are on the earth. Now, you're probably not going to hear that in Sunday school if you grew up in Sunday school. Right? Anybody got a Sunday school teacher that ever told them that? That wasn't staggering, I mean? <laughs> if I were you. No, probably not. But Solomon's advice is this. Dive in. Dive into life. Dive into the now of life. Dive into life. Immediately dive into life. Stop taking this telescopic view of life like well I need to do this and this and this and this and this and get everything in order and make it microscopic and move all the way into like you know what there's a little bit of joy right here I think I'm going to go have it I got a little bit of time right here I think I'm going to spend it with somebody I love and care about I got a little bit of money right here I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of somebody else I've got a little bit of this right here and I'm going to take care of somebody else I've got these people in my life and I'm going to go pour my life into them I want to go spend it and invest in them that's living in the now. And do you know what happens when you eat, drink, and enjoy the life around you? Do you know what inevitably happens to you? Check this out. I'm so thankful for my life. The minute you dive into life and you say, you know what, I'm going to go do this thing because this just brings joy to me. Do you know what happens? You cannot help but turning to God and saying, you're good to me. You are good to me. My life is good. Because that's the way life is built. And Solomon's whole thing about wisdom is to say, I know everything under the sun looks meaningless, but everything above the sun, from there looking down, makes so much more sense. It makes so much more sense. Because it's not about who has the most. It's about who's loving the most. It's about who's loved the most. It's about who loves you the most. It's got zero to do with how many things you're winning or how fast your carousel pony goes. It's everything to do 
with are you loving someone else? Are you enjoying this life? Are you taking inventory of the life that is around you, the stock that is in your life and saying, I love this thing. Can I tell you something weird about me? Of course I'm going to. <laughs> I have this room in my house. It's my office upstairs. Some of you have seen it. I love that room. It's got the weirdest little knickknacks and stuff on the wall, like everywhere. I got, this little, I got this little picture frame, and in this little picture frame, it's got a blank cassette tape glued to the inside of this deal. And it hangs on my wall, and it's a reminder for me that I don't have to listen to the old tapes. The stuff in my head about failure, I don't have to hear that. It hangs on my wall. I've got a little statue of a crow somebody gave me. I think it's so cool. It's porcelain. It's awesome. I got a lamp made of cigar boxes. I got an old desk that a bunch of people who had community service sanded down for me. I love this office. Love it. It makes me happy to go into my office and to go to work. I absolutely love it. But it's all meaningless. It's all pointless. It's all meaningless. It's not going to accomplish anything because it is there. Nothing. But you know what's funny? When I go up there, I'm inspired. And when I come out of there, I'm inspired. And when I leave that room, I look at life differently, and I'm inspired. It's like when I spend time with friends. Same thing. I walk away inspired. Like, I want to go do something different. I want to be this kind of person. I need more of what they have. I need to act more like this. It's like when I get to go fishing and I get to see nature and the beauty of it. Same thing, inspired. When you dive into life, you cannot help but turn and look to God and say, thank you very much. That was well done. That was really, that was really, really cool. Really, really cool. So basically, here's the story of Ecclesiastes. Everything in life is terrible. It's all pointless and meaningless. It's all vapor. It's all futility. Um, but there's some good parts. There's some parts that show up and say to us, but you'll find God in it if we do it together. You'll find him in community. You'll find him in the toil. You'll find him in the work. You'll find him in the pain. You'll find him in the seasons as the seasons change. So I'm excited about the book of Ecclesiastes, as depressing as it is. So as you go home today, you can thank Jesus. Like, oh, thank you so much for the very depressing message that I heard at church today. I really, really appreciate that. You know, thank you. Let's pray, and we'll go home. God, thank you for all that you have done for us. We love you, and we thank you for this book. We thank you for the wisdom that is here. But we ask that as we open it up and study it, we can understand you more and uh, get a picture of what Solomon is trying to show us and tell us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Have a safe New Year.